Amen. You may be seated. Many years ago, I had this opportunity to preach. I was at Crossroads Nazarene Church in Chandler. I had this opportunity to, to preach. On a Sunday, I wasn't always up front uh, preaching, maybe once every couple of months. But I was asked to preach during this series. And this specific message came out of a kind of a, a funny thing. I didn't even know, and, it's, and, it, and it really rests on Resurrection Sunday afternoon, Easter Sunday afternoon, and it is two disciples, eventually two men walking on the road to Emmaus. And I didn't know, and I'll just share this with you, I didn't have my notes, but I did not, because there's a lot of things I didn't know as a Christian. Many, many of you know, you've heard me say a hundred times, when I came to know Christ, I didn't even know what the first book of the Bible was. So that's how far away I was on things. I just did not realize. And anybody said Emmaus, I sure didn't know what that was. And at that point, I would read the scripture many times. But we had a friend of ours who said she was going on this trip, this weekend, uh, whatever you want to call it, this thing to fix her, I guess, because they called it, I thought she said a road through a mess. <laughs> she was a mess. She needed a road out. I thought that's what she, I found out later. It was Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, if you don't know what that is. It's still, so I'm preaching on it. And I preached the message, a road through a mess. And it comes out of Luke chapter 24. And I'm just going to read you a passage and I'm going to, a part of it here, but I won't read the whole story. You can go back and read it. And, it's, and it is the two disciples walking with Jesus. They don't realize it's Jesus. They're kind of giving up on the fact that it's Jesus, they, that, that he's been crucified, and they're just kind of like distraught, and they're walking with Jesus, and they don't know it. So finally, and Jesus throws some things at them that might awaken them. It doesn't help them much, and they finally get to the village they were headed to, and this is where we pick it up. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. You may want to underline that. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. That's some of your story, right? He'd been walking with you the whole time. He was there the whole time. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Were our hearts not burning within us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. As I was preaching that Sunday, what I didn't know was there was a man there about my age. His life was a mess also. He'd been invited by his aunt and uncle, who were just strong believers, uh, to come to Arizona for a weekend. And we're talking April range, March, April range, when this is going on. And he comes, and I don't know that he's in the room. Fast forward three months later. At that time, I was a youth pastor. Uh, I... Now I say I'm a youth pastor for big people. I still feel kind of that. I'm never, you never lose that. Just so you know, it never goes away. But I had been on the road, and back then, for whatever reason, the Lord was allowing me to go speak in a lot of different places across the country. And I had been on, a, we'd taken our kids on, a, students on a mission trip from, from Crossroads, and we had come back, and 
And then we, I immediately started going on the road, and I had preached, I guess that Sunday morning, I flew in from Indianapolis, flew in, landed in Phoenix, and went straight to church. And I had probably preached 25, I'm guessing 25 to 30 times in two weeks, somewhere in there, had spoken in front of different groups. And I was wiped, smooth, slap dab, out. I came in the church, and all we did, immediately after, I hadn't really seen my family, so we went to uh, down to Rule and Ray, if you know where that is in Chandler, and we went to Fazoli's. Yes. And let me say this about Fazoli's. Fazoli's is coming back this fall to the valley. It's been resurrected. You know one of those deals, have you ever, you know your memory of something is so big? I'm concerned that I'm going to go to Fazoli's for the first time in however long, and you're going to go, wow, this is nothing like I remember. <laughs> but anyway, it's coming back. We're standing in line. If you don't know, Jan and I, and we've got four children, and now we have a lot, our clan's bigger now, but at that time, there were six of us. We're standing in line. This man taps me on the shoulder. And he begins to speak in a language I did not recognize, somewhere in New York City. I'm not sure exactly where. <laughs> I did not know fully what it was, but it was this heavy, heavy accent. I mean, heavy accent. And he taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and he goes, You Pastor Kurt? That's not a very good New York accent, but it's about the best I can do. <laughs> I said, Yes, I, yeah, yes, I am. He goes, you saved my life. I said, sir, I don't know exactly what you're referring to. <laughs> but if you've turned your life around with Jesus, sometimes he uses people like me. <laughs> but he's the one that saves your life. But often he uses flawed people. And he just hugged me. And he just cried. What I didn't know was three months earlier he was in that service, invited by his aunt and uncle, and God transformed his life that day. He picked up and moved to Arizona. Many of you from Crossroads know Kenny. Picked himself up, moved to Arizona. God continued to transform Kenny's life. One, you, you put me and Kenny together in a room with our accents, it's messed up, okay? <laughs> but let me say this. One reason I liked hanging out with Kenny, because he butchered the English language worse than I did, and I just needed somebody <laughs> to help me. We both took English as a second language before we went to school. <laughs> South Arkansas was for, for me, so if you don't know. Were our, not our hearts burning within us? Our eyes were open. They went to the 11 and said, it is true. We have to tell somebody, it is true. Because our hearts are burning within us. Our eyes are open. We can't help but tell about what we've seen and heard. And that's Peter and John later. The deal is not that you have an encounter with Jesus. It's what happens after the encounter that matters. A lot of people have an encounter with Jesus. A lot of people brush shoulders with Jesus. A lot of people know about Jesus. And today I come to you... As presenting my 10th Easter message as pastor of Renovation Church. There you go. <laughs> kind of weak compared to Fazoli's coming back to the valley, but I'll take it, okay? Just saying. Where was I? <laughs> I got No. Boy, has a lot happened in 10 years. Not just in our lives. Mine and Jan and our families. and Losing family members. Cancer. 
There's a lot of things that happened in 10 years. A lot of hurt, a lot of, a lot of victories, a lot of, a lot of few in-laws and babies being born. And... But what's happened to our culture? We're not even close to the same place we were 10 years ago. You can say it's always been like that. I'm not sure. I'm 62 years old, so I've seen a lot of 10-year spans along the way. I lived through the 60s. I was born in November of 59, and so my whole first 10 years, whole decade was locked in the 60s. So I've seen a lot. I wasn't a teenager, just a kid. And I'm not sure that I've ever seen a decade like the last decade. Lord willing, I'll live another 10 years. Hopefully another 10 after that, and who knows what the next 10 will look like. But this is what I hope. I hope I have a role in helping what that next 10 years looks like, not only for my family, but for a culture I think that desperately needs it. So you come on Easter Sunday... And you ask the question, okay, I've been here multiple times, heard the Easter story. I know it's about the resurrection of Jesus. I know it's all that. So really, what is there anything else to say? Really, I mean, the suspense is kind of gone, right? You already know it. There's very few people, I'm guessing, that walked in this room today that didn't know the end of the story. Sally's already said, for many of us, we all know that we not only come on Easter, we come every, almost every Sunday because we do know the end of the story, and that's what we come to celebrate. But I think the biggest suspense about Easter Sunday is not what the story tells, it's what you do with the story. That's the suspense. Suspense is not what we're about to tell you here. Because the deal is not just having an encounter with Jesus. The deal is what happens after the encounter with Jesus. Because I would guess most of us could look back on our lives, whether we believe in Christ or not, we could look back on our lives. I know some of us are not near as old as some of the rest of us in here, and some are older. But we could probably reduce it down to a handful of defining moments. Where if we had chosen differently, possibly, our lives radically would have been altered. The trajectory of our life would have looked different. The trajectory, I look at myself, the trajectory of my life at 16 years old on my 16th birthday, if I don't take that first beer or then about 10 or 12 after that, if I don't do that, my next decade I'm not sure looks the same. But I did. But, but I did. But Jesus. <laughs> What if you were only one defining moment from a totally different life? Well, what if you really were? Well, what if you just meandered in here today to just kind of check the list and get out of here? What if you were one defining moment away from changing the trajectory, not only of your life, but your family's life? Everybody who comes in contact with you. Again, the deal is not that you have an encounter with Jesus. The question is, what are you going to do after the encounter? And I've said often, over many of you, if you've been over the last few months, you know I've said this as I walked that, in 1986, as I walked down to the front of that Baptist church in Hooks, Texas, and I gave my life to the Lord, I thought the work had been done. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Oh, the price had been paid. That's what we celebrate today. But what I didn't realize, the work was just now starting. The price was paid. The renovation now begins. 
And the illustration I use is, is if I came to you today and said, I've got this house you've been looking for in your mind, and man alive, it is, it needs a, it's a total rebuild. It's a total renovation. But guess what? I'm going to give you 100% of the funds. There will never be a point where you don't have enough funds to do all the renovations you want to do. The price has been paid. Now the work begins. There's no way to work our way to this salvation. No way. We couldn't earn it. If you'd have known my life for that decade that's lost but found... I knew I never could have worked enough to get there. It had to be grace. Some of you may have come here today. You may be, I was 30, I mean, excuse me, 25 years old. You may be 55 today going, man, there's not enough. I can't work my way back. It's kind of like Jan and I going to a, going to, we, 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 we were in Texas, Canada, we were looking for this furniture, the living room suit. I don't know if they call them suits anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Living room suit, whatever that means. Anyway, so we were, so, if you're, so anyway, we we're going to buy this living room suit. So we were looking at it at, the, at, the, at this furniture store. I don't know how many times we went out to look at things. Maybe the price would go down. Then we saw it in the newspaper. It was like $800, and I know back then, I mean, it was, it was a big deal back in late 80s or early 90s. Big deal. And we kept going back, going, that's still the same price, still the same price. We look in the newspaper, and it says 25% off, going, ding. I can pay that. I feel better about it being 25% off. I'll go, we'll go do that. So me and a buddy of mine, because I work in a value max, we're just working this rotating shift. and So we were off like in the middle of the week. So we went there. I was so excited because he was going to help me haul it home and all this kind of stuff. I get there. It was $800. It was 25% off. And now it's $1,200. <laughs> now I'm from Wicks, Arkansas. And I know there's some challenges mathematically for me. <laughs> but if it's $800 all the time, and it's 25% off, but that's what happens, I think, when we try to work our way to salvation. It keeps moving on us. It's never enough. It's never going to be enough. It'll keep moving on you. It'll keep moving on you. It's Jesus, and it's Jesus only. You, you can do whatever you want to do, but I'm telling you, it's Jesus and Jesus only. That's it. Right, right. Price has been paid, but now the work begins. Right. Why are we called renovation? Bringing you back to what you originally intended, to bring now vigor in life. Renovare, is the Latin word renovare is where we get that from, to bring vigor in life, to bring newness back to why it was designed to be in the first place. drug here year after year you really don't want to be at Easter Sunday church why do we keep doing this it's been said often and I believe with all my heart one of the reasons not only to believe that Jesus is the answer for the world we believe a local church planted throughout the world is part of the hope of the world so we keep gathering, and we keep meeting. Oh, I can show you flaws, Kurt, about the church. I agree. I can show you more than you think you could show me. <laughs> I see some of them sitting here. No, I just got that. No, no, no. Back. That was not in my notes, but that, that just kind of. But with all of its flaws, with the opportunities that to be extinguished over the last 2,000 years. It keeps rising up from the ashes because it is the hope, because it brings the hope, because sometimes God uses men, and he uses women, and he uses boys and girls as conduit, avenue to him. Christianity is 
just want you to know is not just different. It's unique. It's uncommon. Yes. It's not just another religion amongst the religions of the world. We believe it is the only way to God. I'll say it. Won't blink. Believe with all my heart. Our worship is unique. Our music is unique. And we're a peculiar people, Scripture says. I don't mean trying to dress different, or I mean we're just a, we should be a peculiar people. And here's what I hope and pray about Renovation Church. If there's one thing that can be said about Renovation Church, we believe that the good news of Christ is intended to have a unique impact on your life. It is not just simply to get you to heaven. Or just make you have, as, as Wesley would say, a salvation that runs hot or cold or makes you feel guilty most of the time. But one that takes you back to your primitive health. One that takes you back to why you were designed to be here in the first stinking place. That's what we believe. That's what we preach. And we believe it is through the relationship with Jesus Christ and walking it out with his people that revolutionizes people's lives. It is not just enough to step across the line and shake his hand, which it is. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. That is not my call on that or even theologically try to argue with that. But I'd also say about theology. It is not about a theology to be believed. It's about a relationship with an almighty God who who has loved you from the beginning. What I know for a fact is when I gave my life to Christ in 1986, I didn't know hardly anything about anybody. John Wesley, John Calvin, not very many Johns in general, I guess. (laughs) But I know that Jesus Christ came into my life and blew me up. And he transformed my life. I figured the rest out later because there was work to be done. Edges to be taken off, runes to be remodeled, foundation to be shored up. A deal is not that you have an encounter with Jesus. The question is, what do you do after the encounter that matters? As I was saying, for 10 years we've been here this week. What do I do with my water? There it is. Ten years we've been here. And I was reading an article this week in the Atlantic. Not that I read that often, but it just came up through another process of me reading something else. And the question was, why American teens are so sad? Why American teens are so sad? And he said this, the United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%. Between a 60 and 70% rise. This is according to CDC, and you can do with that what you wish. But I believe in my interaction. This is the highest level of sadness ever recorded in our country. And you, percentages, I get it. You, you, know, you can do with that information what you want, but experientially, you see it around you. They listed four things of why they think that's the case. One is social media use. And we can go, we could spend a whole series on that specifically. I'm not going to do that. Sociality is down. In other words, they're not connecting with people like they used to. This group of teenagers is less likely to get their driver's license. I, can you, those who are my age, what was the one thing you were chomping at the bit for among everything else in your life at 16 years old? That is not the case today. But here are a couple of them I think are that, that the world is stressful. You go, well, and that's the reason I said earlier, I was raised in the 60s. It was stressful. <laughs> OK? 
okay? I mean, I, we just go click, 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 click. We just highlight it, okay? And we go, okay, look what happened in the 60s. But there's a huge difference. Walter Cronkite talked about it, or Brinkley and Huntley, or whatever their name was, or talked about it at 5.30 maybe. And then your local news gave you your 6 o'clock. That was it. You knew it was out there, but you weren't inundated with it. And it also wasn't profitable even to the media organizations to give you the worst news out there on a continuous 24-7 cycle. Part of it is I don't remember my parents watching them, and yeah, there were some issues. I had issues. I had five siblings, and there were some real issues in our family, no doubt about it. And I saw my parents stressful, but I don't know that they ever portrayed it over onto me. But so many of our parents now are so stressed themselves of all the news, and they're recycling the news over and over and over and over and over themselves. They say this sense, this sense of doom doesn't come from teenagers. <laughs> it comes from us. <laughs> the news media and from the so- social media channels through which our work is distributed is what they're saying. News sources have never been more abundant or more accessible. But journalism also has a famous bad news bias. Because it's profitable. And the last thing I list there is modern parenting strategies. I thought this quote was interesting, and you can disagree with all this, or you can write your own article or whatever. But I just thought it was interesting. It said, first, children are growing up slower than they used to. Now, they're growing up faster in some realms, but growing up slower in so many other ways. Today's children are less likely to drive, get a summer job, or be asked to do chores. And those who know that I teach, when I talk to parents, again, I've said this how many times? I'll never write a book. Jen and I will never write a book on parenting. Just promise you on that. That might be a chapter, but not a book. Okay? (laughs) But one of the things I encourage parents, make your children do their chores. And all the teenagers said, yes. Because I think it brings value. But he goes on, they go on to say, the problem isn't that kids are lazy. They have more homework than they've ever had. It says that, or starting scrubbing dishes magically dispels anxiety disorders. They did go on to say, activities provide children with two important things. Tolerating discomfort. Parents, let your children deal with discomfort. Quit trying to save them all the time. Obviously, if they're about to die, save them. <laughs> Outside of that, permanent damage, save them. Make sure I put a disclaimer in there. I know our lawyer's glad I did that real quick. But the other thing is the sense of personal competence and value. We've stolen it. We've taken it away from them. Quit babying them. But again, I'll never write a book on that. So there you go. But the biggest thing we've not taught them, and Jan and I have worked through this too, is how to fight for themselves and how to battle. Psalm 145.4 One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. 
I think one of the biggest things that's missing today, and I know they would never do this in the Atlantic, I'm assuming, and you say, well, it's Jesus, and that's kind of the Sunday school answer. The thing that's missing is Jesus, of course. But I would challenge you today, the biggest thing that we're missing in our families and our teens today is are the stories of faith and transformation. Fuller Seminary did a study not too long ago said that young people better navigate their faith when it is shared to them by their parents and by other adults in their lives. And those people share their ups and downs, their hurts and their wins. To hear about the transformation because throughout biblical tradition and his history, communities of faith have included all ages. The church was not just multi-generational, it was intergenerational. There is a significant difference, and I know you can go to a lot of churches where it's multi-generational, but there is a huge difference between multi-generational and intergenerational. One of the things we put down as a, it's, it's a sub-value, if you will, under community for us years ago when we got here was we believe we're called to be intergenerational. Next Sunday for you dinner on the grounds, I challenge you to be intergenerational. We do something here called iGen groups that we don't tell you when they're coming because you'll stay home. No, but, but we, are, we challenge you to be a part of an intergenerational discussion. And those who are a part of it, who stay and will engage it, love it. They love it. But if these statistics are true, and if the statement is true that one gener- we're just one generation from being extinct in our faith, if that's true, that if we go another 10 years and that number rises at another 60-70%, first off, those people will now be adults, just so you know. What if this? What if we've had so much going on in our lives? What if? Building our own kingdoms. We've handed off to our kids this small God. Could a great big God become so small in the eyes of his people that an entire generation could no longer see him? It could have crippling effects on the next generation. Are we responsible for a small God? Oh, yeah, we pray. But we may have enough money to do whatever we want to do anyway, whether God answers or not, or whether we would even know if God answered or not. We just have enough to overcome it. When was the last time your friends, I'm not talking about families here, but we'll work into that, knew you were taking this huge step of faith? And there's going to be a story somewhere down there. You're not doing it for the story. You just know there will be a story to pass along, to pass these stories of faith and transformation That in the middle of this hopelessness, in the middle of this anxiety, in the middle of all this that's going on around the world and inside of us, maybe, just maybe, we've taught them how to fight. We've taught them how to go to battle. We've taught them how to deal with this. We've taught them. And there is no way. What I love about the church is 
I have seen little children lead families to the Lord. There is no age issue here. There's no age restriction. There's no ethnic restriction. There's no caste system inside of this thing. Men and women. Why do we meet? Because we believe the church should be that light in a dark world. And one of the ways we lean into that is, is that we figure out how do we connect to a generation right now that is seeing depression like it's never been recorded. Yes, I'm still a youth pastor. But I also have four and about to have another grandchild. And I'll tell you what. People can say all day long, well, you don't have little kids at home. You don't know what it's like. I'm going to tell you what, I've never stopped... One, I told somebody the other day, somebody said, well, you don't have little kids at home, so you don't really know what it's like now since you don't have kids at home. I said, just try being parent of adult kids. <laughs> what kind of insanity is that? <laughs> you have less say-so, but you're still in the middle of it, <laughs> Right? At least when they're 12, you can go, go to your room. <laughs> I'm not dealing with you right now. <laughs> you better believe I got a stake in this thing. They need to see a G-pop, which is what I'm called by my grandkids. It's awesome. You wanted to be called Big Dog, but they wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> so it became G-pop. I want them to still be smelling my fumes three or four generations down the road. They need to hear the transformation story. They need to hear how you messed up. They need to hear what God did when you messed up. We need to be a place as a church where a 16-year-old and a 36 and a 66 or an 86 can sit down together and feel like they're at home. Not multi, but intergenerational. I was very fortunate to be raised in that. Not everybody was, so I have a little bit of knowing what that feels like. Is it reasonable that a small church like Renovation Church could start something? Not if a resurrected God is not in it. Of course it's not. But if he is, what if? It's not the fact that you had an encounter with Jesus. It's what happens after the encounter that matters. It's not that your eyes were open, your heart burned, but you went and said, it is true. I've got to tell somebody. 1985, I got married to this awesome lady. You bet, man. Look at that. Look at that. Man, I'm telling you. But here's the sad part about it. That lady on the left should not have been marrying that guy on the right. I would never... As a pastor, if she had come to me as her pastor, I'd go, you need to run from him. (laughs) He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't even act like he wants to know Jesus. You need to get away from him. But a year later, I came to know Christ. And for the last 35 years since then, I've tried to become the man she should have married all along. I'm flawed. I have become the man and I am becoming the man. It's both that she should have married. Doesn't mean she hadn't regretted it along the way. (laughs) Last Tuesday. No, just kidding. You know, when God changes a father, 
a mother, a child, any influencer, which we all are, that person can transform their home. They can transform their church. They can transform their community. And I know some of you may be sitting here, man, you don't know how much I've messed up till this point, how old I am and what's going on. Let me say this to you. You may not be able to go back and start a new beginning, but you start today and write a new ending, right? You can do that. You can lay in that bed with zero regrets because you've dealt with all of it. When they're about to say, you know what, if, if you have a chance to do that, like both my parents did, there's no regrets. You just celebrate their life and give them comfort and let them die. But what if this is the deal, sir, ma'am? What if you're waiting for the other person to become the person you should have married? When really the question is, Have you, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, tried to become the person your spouse should have always have married? That your children should have as parents, if that's the case. This is not about shame and guilt and condemnation. It's about freedom. About the freedom to be able to live a life that you never thought was possible. About a Christ who didn't just go to the cross, didn't just save you for what what you've done up to this point, he saved you for, for, for what he had in front of you. The price has been paid, but the work now begins. But not for your salvation, but for the betterment of the kingdom, the betterment of you, the betterment of those around you, the betterment of your wife and husband or whoever that may be or your children. It's that, that's why. Can you imagine being able to, as much as HGTV has done to our culture, (laughs) and it's awesome, and I flip houses on the side, most of you know that, so I like it. But to say to me, any renovation's possible because the price has been paid. Been paid. The question is, are you willing to go through the mess for that renovation to happen? Anybody that's ever done a renovation, you know what I'm talking about. You're halfway through it and you're going, this is a bad decision. <laughs> right? You're going, we should have just left it the way it was. We ain't never going to get there. Jen and I just experienced it, right? <laughs> I'm talking from personal, relation, personal experience in the last month. Man, no. Herb McManus says the great concern is we would have a generation that had no battle experience. There has to come a day where you get out of the village that's been protected by those on the front line and you pick up your bow and you pick up your arrow and you pick up your sword and your weapon and you get in the fight making the world a better place. Parents, I'm telling them, I'm challenging you today. It's not that you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's what you've done. Tell the story of faith in your life. Tell the story of the transformation of what God has done. And if you don't have kids, tell it to your friends. Tell it to somebody else's kids. Because <laughs> they need to hear it too. I always love the fact that my, we try to push our kids to know more adults who are walking this thing out. Because I didn't think they could ever have enough. Adults speaking into their lives about the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. One defining moment. Josiah, if you don't mind coming on up. One defining decision. 
that I know in 1986, December 14th, when I walked that aisle at that Baptist church in Hooks, Texas, did I know what all it meant? Of course I did not. Now, I don't pastor and lead a church because that's all I can do. I believe the Lord's given me skill sets, and I think everybody on our staff here can go get another job doing something else. And the only reason I say that is, I just kept asking, Lord, where do you want us? What do you want to do? If I could try, if I could understand it, I tried to do it. But I had no idea what that meant at 26 years old. But I can think Jan and I will both say to you, we haven't changed our attitude about that. But it was a moment. 86 that allowed me to make other decisions later. One defining moment, changing the trajectory. And circumstances and different things have weaved, been weaving you to this point. An aunt and uncle inviting you from New York to come down and just spend the weekend. find a way out of the mess would you stand with me if you're, if you're able so the big suspense today is really not the story of the resurrection for most of us here I'd say 98% of us the suspense is, is what each of us will do with Jesus that really is the question let me pray for us and Lord I come before you now right now just asking on this Easter Sunday 2022 that however our folks have walked into the room from all paths and all Maybe even emotions, even this day, if do I even get up and go? The thing we know about each one of those is you know them. We don't have to. We know whether or not they've had encounters. You know how they have responded to the encounters with you. And Lord, for sure today, it's not about making anybody feel guilty. That was not the desire if that's what happened. Our desire today, Lord, is to know that there's more, that they matter, that there's a great hope because of the resurrection. Our lives can be resurrected. Our marriages can be resurrected. Our families can be resurrected. Our community can be resurrected. So, Lord, just in these moments, literally, I believe, someone's life or a family's life be changed forever we give this to you right now I'm going to ask if you keep your heads bowed if you would on this Easter Sunday as I've said 2022 I want to complete this prayer if you would like to be by just a raise of hands just to say I want to be included in a prayer that says I don't want just an encounter with you I want to be renovated by you or this is my first encounter that I've ever recognized and I just want to know you as my Savior would you raise your hand thank you thank you Thank you all across. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I know it's difficult. 
at times to come to a place where the only person we knew up to this point was that person and to turn it over to you turn all this over to you and to really believe that you could use Kirk Gentry you could use anybody's name you really could use us but Lord we come to a place where our eyes are open our heart burns within Lord, I just pray right now for those for the first time coming to know Christ as their Savior, Lord, that they would just know that you are who you say you are. Confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are the risen Savior. It's pretty simple, Lord. We shall be saved. It is by your grace only that they come to that. Everything, all the, whatever it is, comes underneath that doesn't mean there's now work to be done or there's going to be work to be done but for our freedom's sake but Lord I pray for maybe even parents in here today who maybe raised their hands that the faith steps and the, and the transformation stories of passing on to the next generation become more real not because we try to make up stories or force circumstances, just because we follow the leading of the one who loves us most. Lord, I pray a peace over those all in this room, but especially those who raise their hand right now. <sighs> that their soul is filled with your spirit in such a way that there's this overwhelming peace. Lord, I pray that there's a burning in their hearts that they are like those disciples in Emmaus that they have to tell someone. Lord, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in the name above all names, the name that every day will someday bow to, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you again for being here on this Easter Sunday. And we just uh, hope you come back. Uh, we are going to be leaning into the intergenerational. If that's something that interests you, we will be doing that. God bless you. Go have an uncommon week in his name. Blessings.